Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to the worship team this morning. Great job leading us in worship. If you join us online or whatever location you may be in, Rossville, wherever you may be, thank you so much for being there this morning. Hey, two, two verses of scripture today, two passages, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Revelation chapter 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Revelation chapter 20. So I started my sermon series next, what happens after this, five different sermons. So far we've looked at what will the culture be like in the end times, what are we moving into as a culture and society. And the last time I, I kind of drew a timeline of how we think it'll happen. Here's the truth, we don't know. Uh, the more I preach on the end times, the less certain I am about anything. The more I see what's going on around us, here's what I know. Jesus is coming again, and we'll all be surprised at exactly how it happens when we get there. Best we can tell from the Bible, if you missed that sermon, so many people have asked me about it. Be sure and go back and catch that online. So here, here's what I want to do today. And I'm going to be honest, after today, the next two sermons, I'm talking about our final destinations. Where are we going when we die or when Jesus comes at the end, what's our final abode? And today I want to preach on a subject that, that here's, here's what I think. I think we miss this subject sometimes. I think we forget that there is something next after we die before we get to our final destination. There is an, there's an in-between spot in the scripture. We find it in Hebrews 9.27. It says this, it's appointed in a man wants to die and after this the judgment judgment before we get to our final final destination in life there's something the bible calls the judgment that all people of all time will go through that means every believer that means every unbeliever will stand before god in judgment and so today i want to preach on this subject the final verdict second corinthians chapter 5 Revelation chapter 20. Just hold your place there and we'll read there in just a moment. I know we, we really would like to believe that we can put our trust in our judicial system, like we could trust our court system, our judges, but here, here's what we know. Our court system, just like every other job and responsibility, people make mistakes. Now, I've never had the privilege of being on a jury. I, I want to so badly. And I, I do, I want to so badly. I, I really, about the only reason I vote is so I could get called on jury duty. That's exactly, I, I want to do it so badly. And I've been called four, three or four times when I lived in North Georgia and when I lived in the Atlanta area. I got called down there as well. And I can never make it past, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and, and, and when I tell them I'm a pastor or preacher, the lawyer's always like, mm-hmm. 
Like I don't get asked anything. Yeah, I don't know why they don't trust preachers, but they, they want preachers on juries for some reason. I, I guess we're too black and white. So, but here's what I know. I, I want to I be on a jury so badly, but I know just because um, I'm in America, just because I'm uh, going through what is a fantastic legal system in America, and just because it may be, you know, 12 of your peers doesn't mean they always get it right. As a matter of fact, often they don't. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, 2021 was a rough year for verdicts. Here's what happened in 2021 in our judicial system. We recorded a hundred and 61 exonerations. That is, people who were pronounced guilty at a previous time in court were then found not guilty in 2021. The average person exonerated lost 11 and a half years of their lives to wrongful imprisonment, which added all up was 1,849 years in total that people spent in prison for something they did not do. Well, why, why were they in prison for something they didn't do? Well, Official misconduct occurred in 102 of the cases. That is, people who were in charge actually did something wrong. 77% were exonerated for murder. So most of them are going to spend all their life in prison or even worse. Now, get this. 47 were exonerated because of mistaken witness identification. Well, we thought it was you. It looked like you. They had blonde hair. Was that not you? You know, and so 47 were that. 107 were perjury or false accusations of those that were exonerated. And then 33 involved forensic evidence that was false. It was not even true. It was not even right. And so here's what we know about our own judicial system, that between 2 and 10% of convicted in individuals in U.S. prisons are actually innocent. You say, was that a lot? Keep in mind that there are over 2.3 million incarcerated people in the United States. That number would mean there are 46,000 to 230,000 people that are in prison who are innocent. Just a few more facts, I'm done. 69% of wrongful conviction cases include eyewitness misidentification. I thought it was you, apparently it wasn't you. But here's the thing, final stat that, that blows my mind. False confessions account for 29% of wrongful convictions. That means you walked in, said you did it, and you didn't do it. I just want to advise you. When you say you did it, here in America, we tend to believe you did it. So you might not want to confess. All of that to tell me that, that sometimes through complete innocence, we don't get it right. But did you know of the first 2,400 exonerations that ever happened in the United States, 230 of them, 10%, were in Cook County, Illinois. 230 exonerations out of one county. Why? Because of that guy right there. Thomas J. Maloney was a judge in Cook County, Illinois from 1977 to 1991. And he was, he was busted in an operation called Operation Greylord. It was led by the FBI, the IRS, and the United States Postal Service, and the Illinois State Police. And they were tracking down um, uh, corrupt 
judges, and he was doling out sentences and high-profile murder cases, and he was exchanging false um, imprisonment for bribes up to $100,000. And he let mafia members, murderers, and gangsters walk free as long as they paid his fee. And he put innocent people behind bars as long as the other side paid his fee. To this day, the U.S. court system says Judge Maloney was probably the worst judge in American history. Saying all that to say, even when we're trying to get it right, justice can be hard to find. Whether it's a crooked judge, an incompetent jury, or self-sabotaging individual, justice can be hard. That is until we get to the end of days. And when we get to the end of days, what we'll discover is that justice will be given out with 100% clarity, with 100% accuracy. That our trial, so to speak, our judgment, so to speak, will be absolutely correct and absolutely right. And our judge will be perfect and his judgment will be perfect. No jury needed. Who will be our judge? Jesus said this in John 5. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. All judgment to the Son. All judgment on the end of days will be done by Jesus Christ the judge. And Jesus will be judge of the living and the dead, the saved and the unsaved, the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus will be our judge with no jury needed. That is, if you are lost or if you're saved. Well, what would that look like at the end of the days? Well, here's what I want to preach about this morning. There are two distinct judgments in the Bible. Two distinct judgments are talked about. One for the saved one for the unsaved. Can we talk about those for just a moment? I'm not going to ask you to stand today because I'm going to divide the scripture up and read it a little differently. But can we read one verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in your Bible? You can remain seated. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. One verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. Look at this verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul had this ambition to gain Christ's approval, and it was prompted by two things. One, Paul knew he was going to spend eternity with Jesus, that he was going to dwell with the Lord. Verse number eight says, so shall we always be with the Lord. And so Paul wanted to live correctly because he knew he's always going to be with the Lord. He was going to see the Lord Jesus. And Paul wanted to live correctly because of verse number 10, that he knew he had a coming accountability to Christ. And he said, we must all stand before the judgment cease. Now, Citizens of Rome and in the first century would have been very familiar with the concept of judgment seat. We, 
We, we see those words and it's a little scary to us, but they would have been very familiar with the word judgment seat. But Paul uses that phrase in Romans 14, verse 10, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he uses that word judgment seat. Now, here's what the word is in the Greek. In the Greek, it is the word bima. While bima is used other times in the Gospels, it is a raised platform where a Roman magistrate or ruler sat to make decisions or pass sentences. So, so get this in your mind. A bima in Greek times could have been several things. It could have been a judge who was sitting there to pass sentence. It could have been a ruler who was making decisions. Paul most often uses it with an allusion to the Greek athletic contest. It was where in the Isthmian Games that the contestants would compete for the prize under the careful scrutiny of judges that would make sure that every rule of the contest was obeyed. So this beam of seat had several connotations. All of them apply, but Paul's thinking one way. It could be where a ruler sits and makes decisions. It could be where a judge sits and makes, um, uh, makes judgments. But most often the word beam of seat was used where judges sat and followed, let's just say, maybe the Olympic Games. They're, they're following the Olympic Games, and they're doing two things. They're making sure every rule of the contest was followed correctly so that nobody cheated or did anything they shouldn't do. And then at the end, they are giving out awards to those who had competed well, and it maybe come in first, second, third, however they would have awarded people back in the day. So two objects, it, two, two things it did. They made sure the rules were followed, and by the way, you could have been disqualified if the rules weren't followed, and then if they were, then rewards were handed out at the Bema. You'd be led to a platform, much like a stage, much like we see in the Olympic Games today. You'd be led up on the platform that maybe had tears and there on that top tier, first place would be given out. A laurel wreath would be placed around your head as a symbol of victory. And then maybe the next place and maybe the next. We don't know exactly how they did it, but that's how they gave out at the Bema seat. And Paul is taking this term Bema seat and he's applying it to the believer at the end of times. Just as a reward is given out to the victor, so the Christian, that's you if you're saved, will appear before Christ's Bema seat, his judgment seat, to receive his imperishable reward. Now, get this, and this is a little bit difficult to follow, but hang with me. The judge of the Bema bestowed rewards to the victors. He did not whip the losers. In other words, the Bema is a reward seat and portrays a time of rewards or loss of rewards following examination. But it was not a time of punishment where believers are judged for their sins. And so the Bema seat for the Christian in our final verdict is where we stand before God. We are judged by Jesus specifically on how we played the game and how we finish the race and it's at the bema seat that our rewards or lack of rewards will be given out well, that's one judgment the second judgment is in revelation chapter 20 if you'll look there in your bible revelation chapter 20 and if you don't have your bible it'll be on the screen revelation chapter 20 verse begin at verse number 11 deals with the second judgment that the bible talks about 
for individuals. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, John the Revelator said this, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. That would be Jesus. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I saw, also saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We turn to the book of the Revelation, and in the future we see a different judgment for those who do not know Christ. This time it is not called the Bema. This time it is called the great white throne. When we step into this scene, time is now over. The age of the church is now over, which means the age of mercy is gone. Grace is gone. It is now a time of judgment and judge alone. And the ones who stand before the judge here have no hope at all for eternity. The judgment, this judgment right here, this great white throne judgment is nothing more than the waiting room of hell. Because all who stand before Jesus at this judgment are destined to spend an eternity in hell. And both judgments come after this life. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. It does matter which judgment you're at. So I want to have just two points today. And I want to break out these points a little bit. And I want to talk about the judgment for the believer and the judgment for the unbeliever. So let me make two points. Number one is this. Let's talk about the judgment of deeds for the saved. The judgment of deeds for the saved. We find it again, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all stand for the, before the judgment seat of Christ. And the first judgment here is the one for the saved. Paul mentions it in Romans. He mentions it in 2 Corinthians. Jesus spoke of it as well. Now hear me this morning. This is not a judgment for our sins. Christ has already been judged because of our sins and he paid the price on Calvary so we no longer have to be judged for our sins anymore. As a matter of fact, God the Father does not even see our sins. That is why we have verses like this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. How about 1 John 2, 2? He is the propitiation. We need to define the word propitiation. It is his becoming our substitute and assuming our obligations. He atoned our guilt, covered it by the vicarious punishment which he endured. Speaking of Jesus, and Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John tells us that, that Jesus was our propitiation, that he, he died for our sins, that he's already suffered the wrath of God on our sins. He's already paid the price uh, for our sins. So when we stand before God in judgment day, we no longer have to be judged according to our sins. And that's a really good place to say, thank you, Lord, right there. But we will stand. We'll be judged. 
Let me tell you four things about this judgment. Number one, it is for everyone. Everyone that's a believer. The first thing to note about the judgment of the saved is that the Bema is that all believers of all time will be there. Those who are saved in Christ will stand before him at the Bema. 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says this, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now that's an interesting word right there because the word all literally means the whole number of us. That is all of us. No believer in Jesus will be excluded from the judgment seat. No matter how faithful or unfaithful, you'll be there. No matter how dedicated or undedicated, you'll be there. No matter how religious or unreligious, known or unknown, whether you're on the stage or whether you sit in the pew, whether you're young or were you old, the gateway to the final heaven first goes through the judgment seat of Christ for everyone. That means, ladies and gentlemen, that everybody hearing me this morning in this room or watching online or watching at a later time, that every single person, if you know Jesus is Savior, one day, one day, you'll have a one-on-one with Jesus at the judgment. Do you, do you keep that thought in mind? That one day you will stand one-on-one with Jesus himself and together you will do a review of your life of the things done in this body whether they are good or bad you say how's that going to work out that one-on-one no idea is it going to be on a movie screen I don't know is it going to be written out I don't know how much time is it going to take we're in eternity it doesn't matter you're going to have a one-on-one with Jesus No matter how inconsequential you may think you are, no matter what influence you may think you have, no matter whether you think anybody knows your name or not, or you think you're above being judged, hear me, we will all, everyone, the whole number of us believers of all time will stand before an almighty God, Jesus himself, and we will have a one-on-one, and we will stand on a raised platform Paul said and there we'll have that time with Jesus you say what happens we get on that platform well second thing it says is that we will be laid bare he said in 2 Corinthians 5 10 for we must all appear now now I don't I don't often put Greek words up here but I want to this morning the word appear in the Greek is the word phanero phanero Now, just to give you a little bit of an idea, the word foe in the Greek, which is the root word of this word, is where we get our word light from. Phos means light. So our our current word, and you'll know a bunch of other words, but the easiest one to maybe say this morning is the word photograph, right? Photon. But let's use photograph. The word photograph has the Greek root word phos in it, and it's where we get light from. It's the word light. So this word here in the Greek, uh, phanero, Uh, has that root word in it. But here's what this word means. It means to cause something to be fully known by revealing it clearly and in some detail. To make known, to make plain, to bring, to reveal, to bring to light, to disclose. Now that's an interesting word because in our English, that is not how the verse reads. In English, the word reads passive. 
for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so, so we read it as if it's just we're in attendance. God's taking attendance and we're there. Joel, are you here? Yes, God, I'm here. All right, you're done. No, that's not what it is. It's not a passive word, it's an active word. And the word appear is actually not the best way to translate the word because it's an active word. As a matter of fact, for our English purposes, the best way to translate the verse would be something like this. For we must all be laid bare. We must all be revealed clearly. We must all have our lives brought to light with detail before the judgment seat of Christ. Can we all stop and say, help me, Jesus? You say, preacher, you're looking forward to that day? No, not at all. You say, well, we're not going to be not going to be punished we're not but just because we're not going to be punished doesn't mean we're going to be proud because it is at that one-on-one with Jesus that we will all be laid bare that every detail of our lives will stand before God and our lives are going to be on display for Christ which leads me to the third thing we know It's for everyone to be laid bare. Here's what Paul said, for everything. He said, for the deeds done in the body, whether good or evil, the things done, the things accomplished, the things in this body, the mortal body, this flesh, good or evil, maybe better translated worthless, evil, trivial, or beneficial. See, God's categorizing, and and we'll see some scriptures in a minute that say that, but God's categorizing everything in your life as beneficial or not beneficial. What do you mean? These verses may not impact you the way they do me, but I, I don't even like these Bible verses. All right? I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. If you've ever said a careless word, can I see your hand? If you said a book full this morning, can I see your hand? Yeah. Look what, look what Jesus said. For by your words you'll be acquitted, by your words you'll be condemned, whether good or evil. Whether good or evil. So we'll stand before God and even careless words that we said about people, careless words, Words that we said about the kingdom. Not only that, Ecclesiastes 12.4. By the way, if that doesn't make you stop and pause before you speak, I don't know what will. If that doesn't make you stop and pause before you post, I don't know what will. God didn't even have to have, you say, is he going to have a, is he going to have a, um, a, a TV screen? He doesn't need one. He can just pull up Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and there it is right in front of us. Look, Ecclesiastes 12.4, for God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing. That's that word appear, whether good or evil. How about Romans 2.16? On that day when God judges what people have kept secret, according to my gospel, through Jesus Christ. Listen, every day, 
Everything is going to be open for inspection. Nothing we have hidden here will be hidden there. It's all about relation to the kingdom of God. Is your life being lived to the benefit of the kingdom or is your life a waste for the kingdom? Everything we do all the time will be laid bare. And finally, number four, he said, and rewarded. And the word uh, paid there in the Greek means to get back something that is one's own or owed or to get back or recover, just to pay. Again, this judgment is not to see if you are saved. This judgment is to see what you did with your salvation. We will not be punished for our sins. However, we will, we will see how we wasted our lives or invested our lives. If you go back to those two Greek words, those two words I said earlier, whether it's good or evil, here's the definition of those words, whether it was beneficial or worthless, whether it was beneficial or trivial. Every part of our lives are going to be open for an inspection to an almighty God to see if we made a difference with the salvation he graced us with. His investment in you, did it yield fruit? It does yield fruit. Hear me, it can yield fruit. But we have to live it out. Don't wind up spending your life and throwing it away without investing it in the kingdom of God because there is coming a judgment of deeds for the saved and everything. Paul said later on in 1 Corinthians, I don't have put all these Bible verses up, but he said whether it'll survive the fire, whether it'll be beneficial or worthless. The judgment of deed for the saved. I saw this story the other day, um, uh, if you're a little, probably, I don't know how many of you are gamers at, you know, in this service, maybe uh, if Nathan asked on Wednesday nights, it'd be more gamers in the room, but there's a, there's a game called Diablo's Immortal. It's an online video game, and uh, it's a player versus player game, so you connect with somebody on online PvP game. But here's the deal. It's a really controversial game because you can buy your way to success. Most games, you can't do that. You can't buy your way to an advantage. But in Diablo's Immortal, what you can do is you can spend money to build your character up, to beef up your character so you can win more games. And they expect people to go on and spend a few dollars, spend 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars. And, and it increases your win rate and, but what they do is when you spend money on it, they match you with a player that is of equal skill as your character. So as you build your character up, they, they find somebody else who's built their character up accordingly, and they match you together. Well, there's an online gamer. You can see a photo of him right here. There's an online gamer, and his handle is, it is all, JT is all business is his online handle. JT is all business. So he went online when Diablo's Immortal released its new version. Now, I've lost some of you, right? Have I, have I lost you? But hang on, I'm about to get you back. When they released the new version of Diablo's Immortal, JT, it's all business. That's that dude right there. Went online and spent $100,000. To make his little old bitty character right there, that blip on the screen, really good. Now, you may not have heard anything I said. You may not have understood anything I said. What everybody can understand is, dude spent $100,000 on a video game. 
And he beefed his character up as much as it could. He had the greatest character in Diablo's immortal video game. Probably the greatest one of all time. The greatest character ever. But he had just one problem. His character was so good, he had nobody to play. He actually filed suit against the game. He spent so much money on it because the list of people who will spend $100,000 on this video game, the list is this dude. This whole list. And because he spent so much money on the game, the $100,000 he spent on the game means literally. So you have to understand how these games work. When you click on it to play, you go into a waiting room because this is kind of how Fortnite works too, which I have played before and uh, y- yesterday. And so you go, you go into the waiting room and you go into the waiting room and, and you wait and it finds somebody out in the world to match you up against them and it puts you both in the waiting room and then you go play the game together. His game, all it does is just spin while it's in the waiting room. You know why? Ain't nobody in the world dumb enough to spend $100,000 on the game but him. $100,000. In other words, he spent $100,000 and it was worthless. Can't even play the game. What does that story have to do with judgment? Because too many Christians are living their lives exactly the same way. I know you think that's crazy. The chances are you're living your life the exact same way. You're spending your life on things that don't matter. Paul came along and said, don't spend your life on things. Here's the word he used. The word evil could have meant worthless or trivial. Paul said, invest your life in the kingdom. Make a difference with your life for the kingdom. Be prepared for that day when everything will be laid bare before God, the judgment. You say, preacher, how do I do that? You make every day count for Jesus. You make every word build somebody up. You make every interaction and every attitude point people to the kingdom of God. You face every temptation from the enemy and rely on the power of God and the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Bible. And you live your life knowing, knowing the next thing that'll happen after you die is a face-to-face with an almighty God. And it will be the judgment of the deeds for your life. And too many Christians are going to stand before God like, It's just JT's all business. We've wasted our lives, our fortune, our finances, our living on things that Paul called trivial and worthless. Second judgment he talked about, John talked about, was the judgment of death for the lost. The Bema Seat is not the last judgment. The judgment, the last judgment is far, far worse and far far more terrible the last judgment is the judgment for those who did not accept christ as their savior let me take let me tell you a few things about it number one let's talk about the participants at the judgment where jesus is sitting on the great white throne the white representing purity and righteousness and holiness who is standing before him to be judged i want you to notice the participants John said, but the cowards and faithless 
and detestable and murderers and sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I don't know if when you read that verse, you think like I do, but when I read that verse, my first thought is, wait a minute. Some of those people do not fit on that list. Like murderers. Makes sense, right? Should Hitler be in hell? Probably. Right? Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not his judge, but I'm going to say, yeah. Murder a few million people? Probably not saved, right? So he probably, how about sexually immoral people? Sexually deviant people? Like most of us are like, yeah. Sorcerers? which could be magic or drug abuse, whatever, like, you know, idolaters. Yeah, liars, eh. If you've never told a lie, raise your hand. Wait, detestable people? They're just people God would be disgusted with? Yeah, sure. Cowards? Cowards? Wait, hold on. Faithless? Who's at the great white throne judgment? Hitler's and Mussolini's of the world and Saddam Hussein's? Yeah. Wait. Faithless? Faithless? Do people who just lacked faith and who were afraid... And maybe who told a lot, they deserve to be on this list. And here's what you know about this list. Good people are going to be at this judgment. Good people. Why? Because this is not a judgment of whether you're a good person or not. When you get to the great white throne judgment, this is not about whether you were a good person. What's it about? Number two, you see not just the participant, but the procedure. Why are there going to be good people at the last judgment? With some verses that tell us. I saw also the dead, the great, and the small standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to the works by what was written in the books. What are all these books that are going to be open? Well, these first books are going to be the book of works that you've done while you're in earth that, that, you, that you lived out. And what we're going to find is that we're all sinners. We've all done wrong. We've all strayed from God. None of us are perfect. And so if all those books, by the way, if the book of my life is open, yes, I've done wrong, I've sinned, well then, well then who cannot be at this judgment? Who's going to make it through it? He said, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Whoever's not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And here's what he said. Well, who's that going to be? What do you mean the book of life? We said it in Revelations 21, 27. Nothing unclean will ever end, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those names who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's how the judgment will go down. 
The participants will be judged by their works to see if they met God's standards of righteousness and they will all be found lacking. By the way, anybody judged by their works for heaven would be found lacking. You would be found lacking. I would be found lacking. We're all found lacking when we are judged by our works. So you say, then who then can get to heaven? Well, here's what the Bible says. Your only hope is to get your name written in the Lamb's book of life. It is the book of recorded names of the people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who accepted his payment of righteousness those who believed in him you're not judged according to your words just to be found guilty and by the way that's why that's why we saw earlier fearful and unbelieving people good people people who are hearing me preach this morning and you're a good person but you're afraid to walk down an aisle and get saved you're having a hard time mustering mustering that commitment in order to be saved There will be people who hear me preach this morning whose greatest sin was you just could not accept that Jesus was the only way. We'll be at the great white throne judgment. And finally, we know this. There's not just the participants in the procedure, but number three, we're told about the place. And I'm going to preach about the place later on in a couple of weeks. The Bible says those guilty of sin who had not accepted Jesus will be thrown into the lake of fire. That phrase is used three times in two verses. What does lake of fire mean, preacher? I think it means lake of fire. Not not because you were a horrible person. It is the eternal place of the unsaved. Yes, you're a sinner, but so am I. Yes, you've done wrong, but so have I. Yes, you don't deserve heaven, but neither do I. What separates us? What separates the people who go to heaven and those who spend eternity in a lake of fire is whether or not you trusted Jesus. Close your Bibles and stand with me around the room. You've probably never heard of Jason and Jeannie Lawrence. But Jason and Jeannie Lawrence have been attacked by terrorists more times than Bruce Willis has been attacked by terrorists. It just so happens that they were in New York vacationing on September the 11th, 2001. They're a couple from England. And as you know, as they were traveling down New York City, the worst attack in American history happened on our soil. It was something you'd never want to live through in a lifetime, and yet, through random chance, perhaps, they were in New York. A -a once-in-a-lifetime event. Unless, of course, you're Jason and Jenny Lawrence. They were vacationing four years later on July 7, 2005, and they happened to be in London during the worst terror attack in London's history. A series of bombs exploded across the city in its transit city, uh, system, killing 52 people, and they were there during that attack. What are the chances you'd be in two places 
Wait, there's three photos. Yeah, because I ain't done. Three years later, 2008, Jason and Jenny Lawrence took another vacation to the exotic Indian city of Mumbai. And can you imagine them? They're like, hey, we're tired of America. We're tired of Europe. Let's just go somewhere where stuff like that doesn't happen. And they went to India. And while they were in Mumbai, they saw the worst terror attack in the country's history as shooting and bombing attacks killed and wounded hundreds and hundreds of people. How could one couple experience fear and tragedy? Here's what I know. What are the odds? They're, not, they're incalculable. What are the odds that one couple would be in all three of these cities when terror and tragedy rain down? What are the odds? I have no idea. Odds are incalculable. But here's what I do know. The odds of you spending an eternity in hell and experiencing that tragedy are 100% if you don't trust Jesus as your Savior. Judgment is coming. For the Christian, the Bema Seat of Christ. For the unsaved, the great white throne of judgment. And when you get there for both, hear me, when you arrive for both, it is too If you're watching online, Jeremy's got a word for you. Don't tune out yet. If you're in a room, how are you living your life? If you're here today and saved, what kind of race are you running? What kind of difference are you making? Paul said for the child of God, he's going to put everything in our lives in the, in the beneficial category or the worthless and trivial category. What's the majority of your life? Where's it going to go? Every idle word? Every deed, every attitude, you, you, you name it, beneficial or worthless. Too many Christians are living their lives like judgment is not coming. And though we'll never be judged for our sins, the wrath of God was placed on Jesus for us. And we've accepted that. Your life will be on full display for an almighty God. Jesus himself to judge. Are you ready for that day? Or might it be that you'd want to clean something up? cleans up for that day what if you're not saved you say preacher i'm here today and i don't know jesus as my savior i'm a good person i get it i'm not even doubting you're a good person i believe you are but the problem is hell's going to be full of good people who simply did not trust jesus as the lord and savior of their lives john said i saw people who who their greatest characteristic was not their sin their greatest characteristic was not their evil their greatest characteristic was they were afraid they were afraid to be saved. They were afraid to be saved. It could be you this morning, but it doesn't have to be. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes around the room? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Our pastors are coming. Listen, you may be a believer and you're here today and you need to find your way to this altar. You need to find a place to kneel. You need to say, dear Lord Jesus, I need to live my life as if judgment day is coming as if i'll stand before jesus at that beam of seat of christ and i want my life to be in order i want to be like paul and i want to hear well done thou good and faithful servant but there's some things you need to clean up maybe it's time for you to find your way to the altar and just clean up your life it doesn't have to be evil it doesn't have to be seen it can just be worthless trivial triviality that you're spending your life on when it ought to be lived for jesus 
Now, do you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life? You say, preacher, I'm ready to make that decision, but I'm not ready today. Fearful? Cowardly? Also, John looked and he said the most, the most noticeable characteristic about those people who were dying and going to hell forever and eternity was they were just afraid. They were afraid to get saved. That could be you, but don't let it be. Don't let it be. We have pastors here who are looking your direction. They are standing up to your left and to your right. And they'll be here during the invitation after the service. But don't you dare wait. You take that first step. I promise you, you won't even remember the second one. You take that first step. You walk out to an aisle. You walk down to a pastor and you say, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. Have a God spoke to your heart. You come this morning. Father, draw us with your spirit, your spirit. As your word convicted us, and spoke to our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Christian, you need to come pray. If you're not a Christian, you need to be saved. This verse is for you. Josh, you sing. Heads are bowed. You come just now. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.